Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today, we have Jason Hicks, uh, the field CISO of Coal Fire. Um, and we've had Coal Fire on before, so we're welcome and glad to have you back. And uh, you do such great reports. I think we had one on before that somebody walked through and explained. And uh, today, the, the state of the CISO influence survey we're going to go through a little bit, but Jason, welcome. Thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here and uh, nice to meet you. Definitely. So background, your background, you've been a CISO for a while um, with uh, Coal Fire kind of recent year, but quite a few years with Kedelsky, um Group, which is a, a, one of our partners and very uh, sizable company, as well as uh, all the way back to Optiv and some other other areas. But um, give us, you know, kind of in your words, how you got to where you're at, uh, the progression of your your status here. Sure. So I spent a fair amount of time, you know, think of me, I guess, as a, a technical CISO who kind of converted to a business CISO, I guess. It's kind of my uh, my journey, if you will, because I think we all sort of hit an inflection point where you decide if you want to keep, uh, you know, advancing and moving to other organizations and you sort of have to add skills to your, your wheelhouse, right? But, uh, you know, that's sort of been my, my journey, but I've, I've spent a fair amount of time on the technical side, you know, I've run product security. I've, I've obviously run uh, you know, security multiple times at the CISO level for multiple publicly traded entities. And then over here at uh, Coal Fire, mostly I, I work with our, you know, executive level, uh, you know, client folks, uh, trying to get them to sort of level up, you know, how they maybe approach something, uh, you know, do a lot of commiserating with people. I feel like I'm a part-time psychiatrist for, for other people now, <laughs> right? Because it's like, oh yeah, you wouldn't believe what happened. Like, oh, okay. Tell me like, is it really like, oh, let me tell you a story that somebody else told me last week. And it's like, oh, that's really bad. Like, see, now you don't feel so bad, right? Like it could be, could always be worse, right? That's what I always tell people, right? Like it, it's, you know, it's, I know it seems bad, but it could always be worse, right? Like you're not on CNN, right? Like you can just walk out of the brief briefing room, you know, explaining, or like you weren't just on a shareholder earnings call talking about how you went down, you know, EPS because, you know, you guys had some huge breach, right? So, I mean, imagine how much fun your week could have been, right? So, I think it's sort of like levels of magnitude of, of, of all that, but but yeah, most of what I do now is try to help people sort of say, hey, you know, if you want to transition from being a technical CISO to a, to a business leader, you know, these are the skills you need to learn. And like, let me help, you know, sort of guide you through polishing up some of those skills, right? You know, often, you know, there's just areas that uh, folks didn't have to know that they need to know now, right? And you know, there isn't really a great uh, crash course for some of that stuff other than just trial by fire that a lot of us went through, right? And you, know, you either had to learn it on the fly or, or not and trying to spare some other people from some of the experiences that I had learning on the fly, right? And the others have had learning on the fly. So I'm trying to, you know, give back and, you know, Coal Fire, uh, you know, gave me a great opportunity to sort of get back to the community and uh, be able to have the time to do that kind of stuff. So it's, yeah. been, a, it's been a great ride. So field CISO, the first time I've ever heard anybody call themselves a field CISO. Explain what, what that means and what the difference you think it is between that and just a, a regular CISO. Sure. So, yeah. So what does that mean in English, right? Well, yeah. 
Well, what that means in English is nobody calls me at three o'clock in the morning because you know they just uh, had some breach detected, right? Well, it's not entirely true, but yeah, you know, certainly, uh, you know, as I alluded to earlier, sometimes folks call me for for guidance or for help or things like that. But ultimately, I don't have operational responsibility basically for coal fire security program. There's another gentleman that is our tool CISO and uh, does a great job of dealing with all the, you know, the traditional, you know, CISO related activities that need to be done. So my job is more, you know, outreach to clients and, and sort of uh, outreach to the community and, you know, present at conferences and sort of, you know, be, a, be an advocate for, for our community, but I don't have the daytime, uh, day-to-day responsibility that I, that I previously had. So basically. That sounds like the best of both worlds there almost. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm hoping that the gray stops at the side of my head now. I'm hoping it's not going to creep all the way over to the top, but we'll see. I don't know. My, my wife is, is liking this so far. She's like, oh, this is cool. So maybe maybe you'll keep your hair after all. You know, So we'll, we'll see how that works out. All right. Well, let's take a break here from our sponsor. We'll be right back in a minute. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking to Jason Hicks, the field CISO of Coldfire. And we heard before the break what that meant. And that, that's very interesting that... Uh, I would, that sounds like a job I would like. It's kind of, you know, not the, the, the day-to-day operational staying up all night when, uh, when something's going wrong with the systems, but having that's kind of outreach CISO title. So that's, that's an interesting, interesting job. I like that. Um, and you have state of the CISO influence survey that we had talked about before the show that we're going to go over some points for, and people love statistics and love it when we bring on some things about what does the health of the industry look like? What is a crosscut from somebody like you has a, a wide view of different things in the industry? First of all, tell us about this survey and and what we're going to kind of at a high level, what it, what it was for and, and, and what you use it for. Sure. So, so Coal Fire, uh, you know, partnered up with uh, Dark Reading and, and surveyed uh, a number of security leaders at uh, different size organizations. You know, some some small, some mid-sized, some very large organizations, and try to get a cross section of responses. Uh, you know, a representative sample to tell us, you know, what are CISOs experiencing? What are they thinking? You know, how are they budgeting? How are they measuring their programs? You know, who's their? You know, who, who do you report to? You know, how do you measure your performance? You know, what metrics are you using? You know, who do you report those metrics to? How often do you report those? So the idea was to try to get an idea of, you know, who's your target audience or how often do you get in front of that target audience? You know, are you getting traction? You know, what metrics are you using? How is that evolving? You know, the reporting relationships, how are those evolving? You know, trying to get a good feel for some of the stuff that you don't see in a lot of the other surveys that are out there that are more about, you know, how big is your team and what percentage of the work does each person do and like what areas are they divided into and, you know, what's your budget compared to the IT budget and and sort of all those kind of things. And 
And, you know, one of the things that I, I'd actually throw in as we see things move forward, you know, more and more you're going to see budget as a as part of the organizational budget versus the overall or part of revenue as opposed to just IT, right? Because security is so much bigger than IT. You know, even if you're, you know, 50% of the IT budget, it, it may not be the right metric for you measuring yourself with, right? Because ultimately security touches way more than just IT, right? So I think that's more of an evolutionary thing that we're we're going through as an industry. And you know, hopefully that'll continue to to become more prevalent when we see that. Yeah. Interesting. So what give us a little detail about what Cofire gets out of this. Why do they are they more getting into a research company? Or I know they still have products and serve clients. What does the company in general do? with the research, because we've had somebody on before to go through a research report also about threats and vulnerabilities and, and you know the status of the market from more of a technical standpoint. But what is it that, that uh, Coal Fire's approach is to these reports? Yes, the report is purely to help us, you know, be a force multiplier for our clients, right? I mean, ultimately, we're, you know, we're not a, a gardener or a forester, and I don't think we have any intention of, of moving in that direction or anything like that. For us, it's more like, you know, how can we get you actionable information that then you can use to drive, you know, your individual program, your individual program decisions? You know, how do you measure up with other people? You know, everybody wants to know, like, well, what's up, what's the, what are the other guys and girls doing, right? Or what are they using as a metric? Or, you know, how many, how often do you talk to board, right? You know, the, you go to a CISO dinner and everybody wants to talk about, well, how often are you presenting and who do you present to and all those kind of things, right? And so the, the idea for us is to take this information and then go back to our clients and then say, okay, you know, use this information to sort of empower yourself to elevate your role within the organization if you need to do that or, or to help you craft better metrics or craft a, a better way of selling. You know, I spend a lot of time helping people, like how can we jam an extra 2 million into your existing budget, right? And there's all kinds of financial stuff we can do to try to make that work, right? If you know how to do that kind of stuff. So part of it is really just, you know, how can we enable you to better, you know, win these budget fights or win these political arguments that you're going to have and, and manage those experiences, right? Because, you know, the, the sad reality of it is the majority of your life as a, as a CISO, especially at a large company, it's, you know, it's budget and politics, right? I mean, one of the, one of the guys in grad school, I think used to say the, the top two layers of the OSI model are budget and politics, right? If you add two more layers onto that, right? And, you know, it, I, that always resonated, stuck with me because I was like, yes, that is so true. And, you know, and then you sort of spend most of your time on those two layers, you know, the higher up you get on the food chain, if you will, right? I feel like I've talked to a good number of people out of going from, you know, deputy CISO to CISO. And I'm like, well, hey, come hang out with me for a day and see what I do, right? And like, you know, not to say that you can't do it or it's not interesting. Interesting, but it's a different skill set and it's not like you're doing some crazy, you know, high tech security thing all day. Right. And if that's really your passion, then, you know, you don't enjoy, you know, five budget meetings, uh, you know, uh, this probably isn't necessarily going to be a great job for you at a big company. Like you might find a CISO job at a startup that would be interesting, but, you know, you wouldn't want to run out and work for a big bank or something. Right. Because you know, You're just not going to enjoy you know, most of what you're going to do is, is staffing and politics and budget management, right? Because you, know, you sort of have to win those three fights if you're going to keep your, your org going. Yeah. So give us a little bit, before we get into the actual results of the, 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 um, the survey, tell us, you know, your sample size, who you targeted, maybe some types of questions that were asked, uh, and, you know, how you came around to putting it together and why. Sure. So a, a, a decent number of companies, I want to say there's around uh, 
about a thousand organizations that were, were surveyed as part of this. And, you know, we, we went through and uh, analyzed, you know, okay, let's, you know, we picked a sample set of different size organizations. So there's some large enterprises in here. There's some, you know, enterprise customers, there's some medium sized customers, there's some SMB customers in here. There's probably not a lot of SMB because we don't really do as much on the SMB side. So a lot of this also is sort of, you know, you, you work with uh, the clients that you have, right? So most of our clients are going to be, you know, enterprise to, to Fortune 500 size organizations and probably some, you know, probably the smallest company in here is going to be, you know, half billion to a billion dollar company, you know, probably when you, when you think about your, your results. Um, and, you know, the idea was to survey the security leaders. So, you know, whoever has that title, right? Are you a, you know, director of security? If that's the person who's, you know, the CISO equivalent, you know, do you have a C-level title? Are you a VP of security? So those are sort of people that we, we targeted. And then the idea was to go through and ask them some different things, just you know, some organizational uh, dynamic questions, you know, how are you doing your, your, your culture and managing your culture? You know, what are you doing from a metrics and reporting perspective? Uh, you know, also from an organizational construct perspective, like, you know, who's, who's your manager and, you know, is that always been the case? And, uh, and the interesting uh, line of questions that they went through with this too, I thought was, uh, you know, how do you feel like the, the value the organization places on, you know, your organization and your team's contribution too, which is interesting. I don't, I haven't seen that in too many surveys that I've responded to personally, at least of, you know, how do you feel like, you know, you're getting like, do they care basically, right? I mean, let's just boil it down to the, the you know, be blunt, right? It's like, well, do they care about what you're doing or are you, are you sort of there to check the box or are you there to sort of, you know, be the sacrificial lamb when something bad happens, you know, I think is, is kind of the, and uh, we can get, we'll get into the details later, but there's, there's some, uh, actually some reassuring things in there that I was, I was happy to see of, of just the, the number of people that, for instance, felt they were, you know, sacrificial lamb was fairly low, actually, and much lower than has been in previous uh, surveys that I've looked at. So I thought that was great, you know, because I think over time, you know, the organizations, especially at the board level, they certainly get the value of a strong cyber program now. Uh, and that may not have been the case, you know, five, six years ago, right? So I think we've, we've made a lot of progress over the last five or six years. Interesting. So it sounds like a lot of subjective or qualitative type questioning, not as much, you know, do you have this? Do you have that? What's your numbers here? What's your range? More of yeah. how does the organization do a, how does, how do you feel about this? How are the, are your approaches targeting whatnot or whatever, things like that? Yeah, it's hard to really get quantitative unless you're talking budgets and things like that, right? I think it's, you know, Gartner and those guys do a really, you know, Forrester do a great job of breaking down the numbers like that. But, you know, and, and if you could get quantitative data from folks, like, you know, if we, I think you could, but it's really hard for me to give you a quantitative data of like how valued they think our org is, for instance, right? I mean, it, it, most companies just don't have good enough metrics to really give you enough hard data to make determinations. So you'd have, you'd have something from a few clients, but a lot of clients, you wouldn't get anything back. So, you know, I think we tried to keep it qualitative because we also were trying to see like, like what's going on in the head of all these different security leaders, right? Like, how do you feel? Do you feel valued? Do you feel, cause it also gives us insights on the, you know, as they've been talking about for the last year, this whole like, you know, great resignation thing we keep hearing about every time I, I open a news story. Right. But, you know, but for security leaders, like the great resignation has been going on for, you know, the last 10 years basically. Right. And it's going to continue to go on uh, just based on the nature of the job. Right. So I think it, it does help though, give you the pulse of, well, how are people feeling? And are they, Because if you're not feeling valued and you're not feeling like you're getting what you need, there's lots of other opportunities for people out there, right? So I think it's important, you know, even from an HR perspective to sort of understand, like, does the average person 
feel like they're being valued and are they getting what they need? Does the org care about them on some level? I mean, and again, you know, personalities will play into this too, right? Not everybody needs as much, uh, you know, external gratification than others do too, right? So I think you sort of have to measure some of that too and say, okay, how much of this is that individual person's, you know, personality and how much of that is as a state of affairs. And I think that's what we were trying to get at. If we ask, you know, a bunch of people the same question, we'll get a good feel for, you know, what the aggregate, you know, measurement of that is, right? Like across the board are people for the most part on average feeling like, you know, the org cares that they have a security department or are you just sort of there, you know, so they have someone that can point at when bad things happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is great. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back and hear some results. So stick around. We'll be right back in a minute. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today with Jason Hicks, the field CISO of Coalfire. Um, and before the, the break, we were talking about the, the state of the CISO influence survey that's coal fires put together and uh the, you know the who all they sampled types of things they ask now we're kind of getting into the meat of it we want to know you know what types of interesting things came about and that you can tell our audience uh about this survey that might be either uh enlightening wow this is different or wow this is unexpected but tell us some of those findings what what where do you want what was the most you know resounding to you well, the first one that, uh, that popped up and is, I guess, sort of near and dear to my heart uh, was that, you know, 20, about 27% of the people that came back are, are now reporting directly to a CEO, which is, you know, if I took the survey five years ago, you know, it'd be 5%, or maybe even that many that were reporting to a CEO, right? So I think that's a huge uh, step forward for our, <clears throat> our uh, you know, our group as, as a whole, right? I mean, that's a, you know, we're starting to, you know, get a seat at the adults table now and, you know, sort of as a full-time, you know, seat at the adults table, if you will. And that does bring with it though, a whole new host of, you know, responsibilities and sort of skills that maybe not everybody has, right? And, you know, if you really want to be, you know, at that uh, level and then truly part of that team at a full-time basis, you need all kinds of business skills that people aren't necessarily learning as they come up on the tech side. So it's something to be mindful of as this becomes more and more prevalent, uh, you know, the the criteria for those roles, you know, is going to continue to evolve, right? If you, if you want to be competitive for those roles, you know, your understanding of finance and budgeting and all kinds of, you know, arcane accounting things is going to start to become more interesting than, you know, your ability to understand certain security problems and things like that, right? So it's going to be an inflection point for, for a lot of people, but I'll be really surprised if that doesn't continue to, to grow over time. You know, I, I think, yeah. you know, I think Three, that gives a, a, a big part to say now Now the, the CISO is involved with the finance, with the return on investment, with the, the money side of their business. Is that Was that also a big uh, big area? 
A- absolutely. And, and I think the other thing, the other thing that blew me away when I was reading this thing is I think only half of the people that responded said they were actually like measuring their budget against ROI, right? Or, or showing like actual ROI for their budget. And, and I get that, you know, security ROI is sort of a, you know, black magic gray area anyway, right? For a lot of people. But, you know, if you're not even trying to do that, though, as part of your budget, you know, that's that's a big red flag to me anyway. If I came in and was looking at somebody's organization or their program or something, right? I mean, that's it's just, it's going to be untenable to win a budget fight without doing those kind of things, right? And, and ultimately, you get yourself out of the business of just being like the security tax, right? It's like, hey, if you don't do these five things, then you can't move into these three new markets or like you can't sell these three products or like, you know, you're going to spend more time cleaning up messes than selling product. Right. And I think when you can tie your investment to some sort of business outcome and some sort of revenue outcome, you know, or support of some kind of revenue outcome, you know, it's a huge game changer for people who haven't been doing that in the past. Right. Because it's just a much easier conversation with the CFO than, well, you know, we got to throw a bunch of money at this because we have to. Right. And and that's just a hard you know, because every other executive comes in there and makes the same argument, right? Like, hey, I want to hire more salespeople and I want to, you know, more real estate and I want, you know, whatever, right? Like somebody wants a new ERP. Like there's all kinds of, you know, we're all, there's only so much money, right? We're all fighting over the same pool of money, right? I think it's the thing that not everybody's aware of, right? It's like there is some limit to what we can spend and still hit our, our you know, EBITDA goals and still hit our, our you know, our targets, right? And, and you, had, you had mentioned that there w- you were surprised at how few people and this might be a reason why, because they can't make the argument for what they're benefiting the company out of it. Yeah, it was, it was less than, you know, it's just barely half of the people that responded were doing that. And I thought that was really, really mind boggling. And, and I think, you know, if, if folks are struggling with that, there's definitely resources out there that can help you with that. I mean, certainly your network can help you with that. Somebody like me can help you with that. I mean, it, it, it's something I spend a lot of my time on is, you know, hey, let's look at what you're doing. Let's look at what your business does. And let's figure out how we, you know, tie that all back together, right? Because ultimately, you have to be able to do that if you want to keep growing your program and keeping it funded. And, and you know, ultimately, that's just sort of the, the direction we're going in. Like, you're, you're a business leader who's responsible for security now, right? It, it's not a technical thing anymore. Like, there's definitely technical components to it. And you're going to have technical people in your organization. And, you know, if you're like me, you're a technical person. But... You know what you have to be able to do now is, is is be a true business leader and understand how that works and and have those sort of conversations. And if you don't understand, you know, budgeting or you know the difference between EBIT and EBITDA and all those kind of things, like you you need to you know buy a book on that or, or talk to somebody and have them walk you through it or take some MBA classes. You got lots of options. Like you don't have to get an MBA. It's not like you have to go out and do that. You know, there's lots of resources out there where you can learn this kind of stuff, but you got to know how all that works and what it means and how they they play into each other because, you know, that's how everyone else gets measured, right? We sort of got a free pass for the last so many years because, you know, it was sort of this black magic, you know, we're terrified of what you do kind of stuff. But at this point, you know, people are, again, there's only so much money. And, you know, those who will be successful at tying it back to ROI are going to be much more successful in, in getting that money and, and sort of being thought of as part of that, re- that executive team, right? Because ultimately, that whole executive team 
and you, when you're part of it like that, you know, your, your, for instance, your bonus is going to be based on the performance of the company, right? So you directly need the company to have good numbers and good return. And you got to understand how that works and how you can support that. Right. So, and I think another thing that you hear people complain about a lot is like, well, we don't get brought to the table. They don't ask us things until they're ready to do them. When you start bringing that level of knowledge and, and to the conversation, you're going to start getting pulled into all kinds of stuff because they're going to think, oh, okay, this person gets it. They understand the pressure we're under. And, you know, and now when you ask for money, they're going to give you what you asked for because they assume that, you know, you've factored all this in, right? Like you're not just this, uh, this, this uh, technical wizard who needs to buy more of more tools or whatever, right? So I think it's sort of elevating the role of the CISO in the eyes of the other business leaders, you know, and, and part of doing that is understanding the lingo and what they're talking about and how you can help move those numbers. Okay. Yeah, anything else that, um, I think you said reporting metrics was something, uh, staffing sizes, what were your findings in those areas? Yeah, one of the things that I thought was also interesting is uh, a fair amount of organizations, especially, you know, people with, uh, less, you know, a thousand employees or less, for instance, right, which is a decent number of companies out there. You know, on average, their security department is about 20 people, right? And even some of the larger, you know, five, 10,000 employee organizations were still reporting they might have only had, you know, maybe 20 people. Now, in some cases, you know, that could be 20 people managing, you know, 100 contractors too, right? So it kind of depends on how you read the numbers, but it's still kind of surprising that, uh, you know, given the prevalence of security and all the, the board focus we've got on security that you don't have, you know, some of these teams uh, growing in, in much larger ways. I think you're going to see that as time goes on, but, you know, part of that also may go back to what we just talked about for the last five minutes, right? You know, if you can't tie it to ROI, you're going to hit the ceiling where it's like, well, you know, we've checked all the boxes. We've got our certifications. Like you know, if you can't justify the heads, then, you know, you don't need them, you know, kind of thing. Right. So I think as people elevate their, their modality of, of communication, then they'll potentially be able to grow some of these teams. And in some cases you might not need more people than that too. Right. It all depends on, you know, right sizing things to the, to the complexity of your organization. Right. If you're a, a fairly, you know, medium to low maturity organization by design from a security perspective. And there's, there's some of them out there, you know, if you're in an industry that's not heavily targeted or heavily regulated, you know, you don't need it to be a four out of five on everything. Right. So, you know, that may be appropriate. There's other places though, where they really need, you know, another 20 people and they're just not getting those 20 people. So, you know, I think that you know, it's a, it's a linear uh, size growth or would you say, I mean, a lot of times small companies have to get to a certain point where they have to hire enough people to do security. Is it like a tribe where there's only jobs for 20 people in security? So that's why we see that kind of headcount resistance. But at the lower end, you have to have 20 people as well. And that's a large expense for a small company. Yeah, I mean, I think it all has to be right sized to the organization's complexity and their risk posture. But I, but I do believe, you know, obviously for the smaller the company, the harder it is to, to staff, right? And, you know, 20 is somewhat of an arbitrary number anyway, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, though, the smaller the company, to your point, the, you know, every head, you know, is a big deal, right? And when you get to a, you know, a Fortune 500 company, you know, adding, a, you know, another five people to that list is, is not a, is challenging to do necessarily just based on the size of your staff and the size of your budgets. But at, at the same time, you know, it, it's often we haven't necessarily as a group done a great job of articulating what all of these people are doing necessarily. And, and unfortunately outside of our organization, often the HR teams 
And certainly the finance teams don't really have a great understanding of like what all these people do, right? Like those job titles don't mean much to people outside of security, right? So it's hard for them, I think, sometimes to wrap their minds around like, well, why do you need all these people doing all of these things, right? Like, do we really, really, you know, and you're almost a victim of your own success also in the sense that like, well, as far as we know, it's not like we're getting breached every week. It's not like we're on CNN every week. Like, you know, things must be okay. Like, why are you asking me for all this extra budget, right? It's like bad things are not, you know, you have the same problem our, our three-letter agencies do in the government space, right? Like, you know, you don't hear about the 20, you know, terrorist attacks I prevented. You only hear about the one that I didn't prevent, you know, kind of thing, right? So it's hard to argue for budget on things I can't talk about, right? So it, it's one of those sort of issues, I think, and, you know, in, in other entities have those kind of problems, I think sometimes, right? Where it's like, you know, bad things are not happening. So we feel everything's okay. And you have to be careful about how you sort of instill that there's still a problem and it needs to be solved without going overboard on the FUD, right? And I think the way to do that is to have a roadmap and make sure they understand that roadmap, right? Like, hey, we're at maturity level two and a half, we got to get to three and a half, here's how we get there and here's the staffing that's required to get there. And, you know, here's what we'll do that uh, uplift on our staffing. And I think if you've got a good story to tell that, that makes sense, then you'll have less pushback on that. And you'll see that growth because now that feels, you know, they're going to feel like you have a plan and, you know, being in a particular direction, it's not like you, you know, stuck your finger in the air and said, okay, I need another three people for vulnerability management this week. So I think that's also part of, of, of the challenge, right? Is, is put, taking the time to put that story together and then selling that story. One of the things you, I had had on my list that you said was reporting metrics. Yes. Um, and, and that seems to flow right into that. What did you find out in that area? The other thing I thought that was, I guess, interesting but not surprising is that uh, only about 18% of the folks we surveyed are continuously delivering metrics through like a dashboard or something. I think like Tableau or some other reporting interface, right? And I don't know that that's going to be, you know, over time, that number will likely go up if, if the target of those metrics are the rest of the executive team, you know, from a board perspective, I, I'll be, it's going to be a while, I think, before we're, we're continuously feeding, you know, dashboards to folks like that, because I think just based on the, the stakes of uh, what go in front of that audience, uh, mm -hmm. I think you're going to see that being in slides. And I also think personally, if you gave a, you know, Tableau interface to a, the average, you know, board member, I think their assistant's just going to print it out and show it to them anyway. I'd be really surprised if most of those people are going to get in there and start running reports just based on my personal experience and the, the age of the average, uh, you know, person that you're, you're working with on a lot of these big company boards. Uh, it would, it would surprise me, but I do think that number is going to go up over time, at least from an executive team perspective. Now, somebody, you know, if I was the or anything really in a, in a dashboard I could go look at, I'd go look at it. Like I wouldn't wait for the slides, you know, kind of thing. But I'm also comfortable with, with that sort of interface, right? And I think we also have to look at like, well, what's the comfort level of all of your stakeholders, uh, you know, and, and, you know, are they capable of consuming that data, right? I think a, a good friend of mine made a good point once that, you know, if everybody has a, a manila notepad, you should be bringing a manila notepad to that meeting, right? And then a pen, right? If ever, you know, you shouldn't be bringing your iPad, right? Because, now you're the odd man out, right? And, and sort of from a, a group think uh, cohesion sort of issue, you're creating yourself challenges, right? So like if you're the only one who consumes this stuff in Tableau, you might be before your time, right? I think that unfortunately the human psychology factor of all this uh, is going to drive some of this behavior or maybe slow adoption of some of this yeah. stuff. We're kind of reaching toward the end of our time, but I, I wanted to just put a last out there. Was there anything you found out that like, I don't know if you left it open for ask questions that we didn't ask, 
that you didn't expect that came through, um, you know, as, as additional information? Um, the only other one that I think I'd, I'd throw out there is, you know, so I was presenting at an event and a gentleman asked me, you know, how do I explain, you know, something technical to somebody who just doesn't get it, you know, and how do I, how do I do that without getting there? So I just get so angry when they ask me the same question over and over and over again. And it's like, well, you know, that's what they're paying for in a lot of cases, right? You know, you, you sort of need to step back and take your ego out of it and say, look, you know, this is how this thing works and this is why you need to care about it. And, you know, break it down in, you know, if you got to go all the way down to, you know, the cartoon character level, that's okay too. But, you know, you have to know your audience and sort of right size your presentation, right? Because it's sort of an art form because you want to make them feel stupid. And you also don't want to make them like sort of, act like they understand and smile and nod, but don't really understand. Right. But if you can sort of hit that sweet spot with somebody, you're going to be their go-to person for everything, right? Like, Hey, this person can explain this stuff to me. They don't make me feel stupid. You know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm going to get my head ripped off for asking them a question. Like you're going to be the go-to person for whoever that is. If that's a client, if that's a board member, if that's another member of the executive team, you know, you can now be sort of the translator for some of these things. Right. And, and, and we do a ton of that, in our industry anyway, right? I mean, imagine all of the stuff you have to translate to finance and HR and marketing and sales, right? So I think that's really an area where, you know, a CISO or a security leader can really add a lot of value. And, and like, you'll get pulled into conversations you wouldn't normally be part of just because, you know, they feel like you're going to be a good partner for that conversation. Like, you know, I want this person there because if, if they stump me on something, I can you know lean over and be like, hey, can you explain this to me? So I think people are missing uh, a great way of endearing themselves to people if they if they really just can't you know slow down and 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 not snap at them. But I but I get it. You know, somebody asks the same question seven times, you know, it does get old. But again, that's you know you don't want to miss a golden opportunity, right? And I think that's a perfect phrase to end on. Um, but thanks a lot for joining today, Jason Hicks uh, from Coalfire, the field CISO. Uh, we appreciate uh, all that you brought and uh, the, definitely the survey results. Always interesting to hear some uh, some wider industry scaling or spanning things that we can put out to our audience. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate right. the time. Have a good day. You we hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at NewCyberFrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.